one of the things that's easy for us to forget as we study the Bible that is that um, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians were all letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to churches. They were literal letters that, were, that somebody sat down and wrote to a literal church out in a, somewhere in, in the Roman world. And it's easy for us to, to have a verse that we want to go to and kind of reach into the book of Romans and pull out a verse and say, well, I like that verse. And, and yet we don't read any other letters that way. If I got a letter from my wife, I wouldn't just flip past a whole bunch of it and find a, 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 a paragraph that she said something I like. And yet we read the Bible often that way. And so what we're going to try to do is take the next few months from now until June and read through the book of Galatians and understand what exactly is being said in this book. There's lots of single verses that mean a lot, but I think what we'll see is that Paul had a reason he sat down and wrote this book and that it's going to apply to us in a much richer way if we take the book as a whole. And to start out with that, really, we have to get some background. We've got to know who the players are. What, are what, is, what is a Galatia and what are their churches in it? And so we're going to answer those questions today. But one of the things that I've been praying, and I'm going to pray here in a second, is that I don't want us to take today as we set the background, we're going to Acts, we're going to actually look at some maps and kind of get an idea. I don't want today just to be preparation. I want us to, to today to start the process of seeing, and this sermon series is called Unshackled, that Paul has delivered the gospel to a group of people, and they've tried to add to the gospel. They've said, well, it's Jesus plus this, 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 and this. And that actually tears down the gospel. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so when we try to add to the gospel, when we say, well, to be a Christian, you got to get saved and that stuff, but you also got to stop drinking, that we're destroying the gospel by adding to it. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved but that name of Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. Not by Him plus a bunch of stuff that I add to it. And so I want that to come through clearly today as we do this background stuff. So let's, let's back up, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dig right in. Father God, Lord, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, I thank You that we have in the book of Acts all the background in this letter to the book, Church of Galatians. And God, I pray that you would help us to dig deeply, to drink deeply from this well. God, I pray that today wouldn't just be about background and maps and where people were going here and there and this was going on in stories, but God, that today we would see clearly how important your gospel message is. God, we need you today. Like Mark said, there's two people who have taken their life in our community that if only they had known that Jesus could have been the balm to their soul. If only we had gotten that gospel into their hands. So God, I pray that today we would be faithful to your word. Lord, I pray that we would, we would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So first we're just going to kind of walk through these first two verses that Harley read. And the first word that we read is Paul. So some of you know the story, some of you don't. I want to give you a little background on who this guy Paul was. 
in Galatians, in the first chapter, he, he's going to establish why he has the right to tell them anything. And he's going to tell them a little bit about his testimony. And in chapter 1, verses 11 through 16, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not a man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a rev- revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anybody. Paul in 1 Timothy says of himself, he says, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the head sinner. In fact, Paul says the only reason God saved me is so that other people could see as an example that somebody as wicked as me could get saved. Now, we hear that, and and many of us kind of think in our mind, yeah, you know, Paul's saying he was the chief of sinners, but everybody kind of says that. That's what everybody kind of thinks. But I want you to re- it reminds me of when Emily was like, and Emily just, your stomach just sunk a little bit. When Emily was little bitty, when she was about three years old, she was celebrating her birthday. And we had come, we lived in Coleman, and we'd come up to Gadsden so that my parents could see Emily on her birthday. And so we'd come up, and, and her birthday's at the end of October, so we went to East Gadsden Baptist Church and went to their fall festival just happened to be that it was the same weekend. So we went to their fall festival, and there's you know, a couple hundred people there, and there's jumpies, and there's face painting, and there was corn dogs, and there was all this stuff. We're getting in the car to leave, and Emily looks at me and says, isn't it awesome that all these people came to my birthday party? <laughs> and I just rolled with it, right? I'm like, yes, it is. That's awesome. This is the cheapest birthday party I've ever had in my life. This is great. So we, we sometimes look at life, and we think it's all about us, right? It's all, and so Paul's saying, I'm the worst sinner that ever lived. It's often easy for us to read that and go, yeah, but hey, not really. Because, you know, there, there are prostitutes and junkies that are way worse sinners than him. But he wasn't exaggerating. That wasn't hyperbole when he said that. Now think about what Paul did. Paul, in an effort to further his career, to further his social standing was willing to go and hunt down new Christians and have them executed. That was his job. And as a way to further himself in the community that that he was in, he literally hunted down Christians to have them killed. He was wicked in in an effort to make himself look good, in an effort for him to be somebody that everybody looked up to. He was willing to take new Christians and have them executed. And not in a humane way. He stood there holding the coats of the people that drugged Stephen outside of the city and threw rocks at him until he died. And thought he was doing God's work. Some of the most wicked, vile, evil people who have ever lived have, cl- have cloaked what they did and saying, oh, I'm doing this for God. So Paul was a wicked, vile, evil man. He doesn't say that he's the chief of sinners just so that we would go, oh yeah, well, okay, sure, yeah, you're humble, whatever. He's being for real. He was wicked. Now, he got saved on the road to Damascus. 
spent a couple of months hanging out, doing some stuff. Then he went off for three years to be trained by Jesus. He comes back to, to, and he starts going to church at a church in Antioch. And after a short period of time, that church says the Holy Spirit led them to send him and Barnabas off on a missionary trip. So here's this new believer who is being sent off to go on a missionary trip. Now, Paul says, I, Paul, an apostle. That word apostle is uh, a, a word that we don't, we don't use today. I mentioned last week that a lot of people run around and call themselves apostles, and that's not physically possible because there's two things that was a requirement of a person to be titled an apostle. One is they had to be titled an apostle and given that title by Jesus. In the book of Mark... It says of Jesus, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. The, the 12 apostles, the 14 men who had the title apostle, were named, they, you are sent out by me, by Jesus. Nobody alive today is sent out, did, did, was Jesus there and said, okay, I'm sending you out. So there were 14 people who have been legitimately able to hold the title, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are doing the math in your head. I can see it. 14, because there were 12. Judas committed suicide, so that took it down to 11. But with still 12 who had the title, the, the, the disciples got together, and we read in the book of Acts, that they voted on somebody. And one of the requirements that they had was that he'd been with them the whole time. Well, let me just read the text. In Acts 1.22, it says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So the apostles, when they appointed somebody to replace Judas, said he had to be somebody that had been with all the disciples from the beginning, from the time that Jesus was baptized, and he had to have witnessed the resurrection. They chose Matthias, so that's the 13th person who's had the title. And then Paul, when he was on the Damascus Road, had a personal encounter with Jesus. Paul calls himself an apostle born out of time because it was in a different cycle than everybody else. Jesus appeared to him and said, bam, I'm going to send you out. So he was sent out by Jesus. So that's 14. It's a closed club. Nobody else can join. So we got 14 apostles. Now that doesn't mean that we're not all sent out, that we're not even all sent out by Jesus. In fact, I would say the closest analogy to the title apostle, somebody who is sent out, would be the modern title of missionary. As the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, we as churches join together, we pool our money, and we send those missionaries out as our representative to go all around the world to tell people about Jesus, just like the church at Antioch. Set, prayed, they chose Paul and Barnabas, sent them out to go tell other people about Jesus. And off they went. So Paul, an apostle to the churches of Galatia. Now where is Galatia? If you could give me the map up here. Galatia is in what is modern day Turkey. It was called Asia Minor at that time. And, and so Paul goes from Antioch down to the island of Cyprus and uh, leaves there, goes to Perga. And then from there he goes into uh, Galatia. Galatia is not the name of a city, it's the name of a province, so a state, if you will. Asia Minor would have been the big province, like the United States, and then the state, if you will, would have been Galatia. It was called Galatia because the people who were there, the Galatians, were Gaulish. They were of the same uh, um, ethnic background as like Irish people and Scots, 
They were from Gaul, the Gaulish people. They were, they were Celtic uh, group. And so they would have lived there. That's the people group that would have been in that part of the world at the time. And so Paul left uh, Antioch and went. And the first city that he gets to in those churches is a city called Antioch in Pisidia. It's called Antioch in Pisidia to differentiate it from Antioch uh, that, that he was sent out from that's just north of Israel. So he gets there to Antioch of Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. So after they, they went to church. So after they sat down in church and they, they, they read some scripture, one of, one of the guys goes up to, to Paul and Barnabas and said, Hey, is there anything that y'all want to share? Which any of you who've been around preachers know that's not a question you ask somebody who's a preacher. Would you like to take a moment and share? And you go, yes, well, as a matter of fact, I would. I hope you have some time. Um, we have a tendency to be long-winded. In fact, it even is kind of funny because it says, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hands. So Paul was, at the, he had to been Baptist. Are you kidding me? He stands up and he goes, I got something to tell y'all. Woo! And so there he goes. I mean, it was, it's just hilarious. I, I remember uh, I was asked to speak right after we came back from Turkey at the... Uh, at the state convention uh, in Montgomery, and Ann and I got to share some of, about our missionary thing, and so we're, we show up, and this guy comes up to us, and he's got a list of all the speakers, and he says, you have four minutes and 20 seconds. They clearly had worked with Baptist preachers, and so at a, I'm looking up at the screen there, and I, I start talking, and in about four minutes, the guy, I look over, and there's a guy standing beside me. And at about four minutes, ten seconds, he literally had his hand on my elbow. I have a feeling if I'd kept talking, he would have he put me in a chokehold and drug me off. He knew preachers well enough to know to limit them to a very specific time if they're going to keep this thing on schedule. So here Paul, motioning with hands, he starts preaching. He starts with Abraham, and he takes these Jews who are sitting in this synagogue all the way through the Old Testament, and he's pointing it to Jesus. He's telling them about Jesus and how the Old Testament speaks to it. Then he gets to, he says, hey, uh, that there were, that Jesus came, he preached, he lived a life that was exemplary, he was the one that God sent, he was raised from the dead, and it says that the, when they went out, the people begged that these things might to, be told on the next Sabbath. So they're there in Antioch, that he preaches in, in, the, in the synagogue, and it went awesome. He's leaving and people are following him out. Man, you got to tell us more about this. Come on, tell us more about what's going on. So you got to figure, Paul, here's Paul. He's a new Christian. He's been a believer for about four years. He's, he's preaching in this place he'd never been to before. And the Holy Spirit comes down and bam, this is going to be good. In fact, the next week he comes back to church and the Bible says that the whole town showed up. The, the synagogue is absolutely jam-packed with people. Standing room only. The next Sabbath, it says, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. Isn't it always true that when the Lord moves and does something amazing, that the enemy also moves? So here, the church is... Gr- cha- <clears throat> here, the church is jam-packed with people, and the church folk are mad. Why? I don't know why they're coming to see him. We've been talking about God for the last 20 years. What's their problem? And so they start contradicting what Paul has said. And they're against it. And they start fighting against God actually doing something. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. And he told them, It's necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, the Bible says, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. 
since you've thrust it aside and judged yourself unworthy for eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the world. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying in the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So God is moving. People are getting saved all over the place. The, 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 the word of God is traveling out all over the, the community. And persecution falls on them. And they realize that they're going to get in trouble, so they head off. They leave Antioch. Give me the map again. They leave Antioch and Pisidia, and they go from there to Iconium, which is another city. Now, now this scale is probably, they're going, each one of those little jaunts that we read about, um, the, we, we look at that, and that's probably about 100 miles. And even though we know they were in one accord, in reality, they were on foot. So these aren't little, little short, little hop, hop, skip, and jumps. They, so they walk from Pisidian Antioch to Iconium. They get to Iconium. They, again, go to the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their mind against the brothers. But they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the, for the Lord. And the Lord bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hand. But the city was divided. Some sided with the Jews who were trying to pitch a fit. Some sided with the apostles. So they came up with a plan to, to the people that were against them to have them stoned. They learned of it and they fled from Iconium to the city called Lystra. So they get to Lystra. Now... They come to Lystra, which is another city right here in Galatia. He walks into the city, and there's a dude standing there who's from the time that he was born couldn't walk. Paul walks in, looks at the guy, and says, stand upright on your feet. And the guy stands up. The guy does a miracle. Now, as we hear, read about these miracles, one of the questions that, that I hear people arguing and debating is, um, in, in theological terms, it's called, does God still use sign gifts? Does God still do miraculous things? Does God, does God still uh, do things so that, that sick people are healed? That sort of thing. And honestly, the reason why people ask that question is because we, just, we don't see it. Why can't you just, hey, if God can still heal people, why don't, preacher, why don't you just go to the children's hospital and walk up down the aisle and empty that place out? Well, first of all, Every time we see a miracle in the New Testament, that miracle is being done to validate the gospel that is being preached. Miracles are being done not so that Paul can look like the big man, not so that, that the, the church will even look good, but so that people will see that the message of the gospel that's being put forth is, is valid. Now, I will argue that the greatest miracle that we could ever see is a dead man walking. And every person in here who's a believer that God saved from a life of sin and wickedness is a dead man walking. I mean, we've talked about it before. Drunks don't stop being drunks outside of the gospel. Thieves don't stop stealing outside of the gospel. There are people all over this room that if you had asked somebody 20 years ago, what do you know about Doug Pope? Him being a, a, an upstanding Christian man would not have been what anybody would have said. 
And there's lots of people in here who lived their lives for the devil. God saved them, and now they're living their lives for Jesus. It don't get any more miraculous than that. The second thing is, I think God does still do healing to validate the gospel. I want to share with you a story that I had personally told to me by Jerry Rankin, who was the president of the IMB. Uh, he's now retired. A few years ago, he was uh, in the Philippines, and he was traveling around from village to village to village. And he ends up going to a village, and there was a lady in that village who happened to be the mother of the village chief. And she was sick unto death. In fact, Jerry, as he tells the story, said that she was laying down. She already had that where breathing had come up high, and she's just weak and barely moving. And so they said, wait, wait. If you're a guy who's representing God, we've got a witch doctor here who's representing this God. Let's have a contest. Let's let you pray for her. We'll let him do his thing, and we'll see whose God's the strongest. Well, Jerry's like, well, this, this is just awesome. This is just great. Because the woman's about to die. And so Jerry goes over. He prays for the lady. He says, God, please heal her. The, the, the witch doctor did his thing. And Jerry says he left there just despondent. God, why did you put me in this situation? Jerry didn't have the faith. The woman didn't have any faith. And Jerry is saying, why did you put me in a situation where it was a lose-lose? The woman was dead when I got there. In fact, he says, I, for three months I went around and I avoided going back to that village because I just didn't want to have to deal with it. I didn't know what to say. I didn't, I didn't know how exactly to respond. But finally... Actually, he was getting promoted, and so he knew he was going to be leaving the Philippines, so he decided, before I go, I need to go back through this village and at least see if I can recover somehow. He walks into the village, and there was a lady that he comes up to who was squatting in that very Asian way, and she was grinding corn, and she's sitting there working, and Jerry walks up to her and, and tries to start chatting with her and, and talking with her a little bit, and finally goes, hey, about three months ago I was in here, and there was an old lady that was about to die, well, how, how, whatever happened with her? And the lady looks at her and grins with a big face, and she says, I'm the lady. And we want to hear more about this God that healed me. And so the whole village gathered around because they wanted to find out about this God that was able to heal somebody who was about to die and who was able to raise somebody in their mind pretty much from the dead. And so Jerry was able to preach the gospel. They had already pre-believed it. They knew that what this guy said was going to be the for reals. And he shares the gospel with them and a bunch of people in this village get saved. In that situation, Jerry's not the one getting the glory because Jerry didn't believe that the woman could be healed. Nobody's getting the glory in that scenario except Jesus is getting the glory. The same thing we see here with Paul. Paul comes in. He sees this guy who's been crippled. He says, hey, get up and walk. The dude gets up, and now everybody's ready to hear the gospel. Everybody's excited. Now here Paul is, this new believer. It takes a weird turn because, again, every time God moves, the enemy's going to move too. And so it takes a weird turn. Everybody sees that Paul... In their mind, just fix this guy's legs. They say, he's got to be a god. Now, Paul can't speak the language. He didn't go to language class. And so Paul couldn't speak the language. And so he's having to have other people tell him what it is. But the other people are coming around saying, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. 
Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes. So apparently Barnabas was bigger than, than Paul. And so Paul gets stuck with uh, Hermes. And they, they start trying to sacrifice oxen. And they bring garland and they're ready to start worshiping him. But when Barnabas and Paul figured out what was going on, they tear their clothes. They're like, whoa, why are you doing these things? But we're men just like you. But we bring good news that you should turn from these vain ideas to a living God who made the heaven and earth and sea that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good food and gladness. But even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to him. The people were like, oh my gosh, these guys are gods. So Paul restrains them. He shares the gospel with them. Now when, remember from Antioch, Pisidia, the, those people that were all jealous, the good church folk that were all mad that, that, that the church had grown because Paul was there. Well, guess what? They send people, they hear what's going on in Lystra, so they send people to Lystra to tell them what it, and stir up trouble. They get there to Lystra, and they find out what was going on. It says that they, they left there and went to Derby. And so while they're in Derby, again, God moved, and yet there was persecution. Actually, back in Lystra, he, Paul ended up getting drugged out, outside of the city and stoned until they thought he was dead. Everything that Paul turned to, it seemed like on the one hand, there was God doing great things, and on the other hand, you've got the enemy attacking. And so Paul starts these churches in Perga, in, or in Pisidia, Antioch, in Lystra, in Iconian, in Derby, with great toil, with sweat and tears and work, literally bloodied every turn the enemy's fighting, and yet they pray through it. People get saved, churches are started. Paul gets back to Antioch and finds out that after he left, that that same group of jealous people had came in and said, okay, if you want to follow Jesus, follow him. But you also need to follow the law. See, it's Jesus plus doing a bunch of good stuff. It's Jesus plus getting circumcised. It's Jesus plus not eating pork. It's Jesus plus making sure that every Sabbath that you're not doing anything, it's Jesus plus doing this good stuff. you got to do good stuff or you're not going to make it to heaven. Now, every letter that we have in the New Testament that Paul wrote, he starts out... And he'll say, like in 1 Corinthians. Now, first, the church of Corinth was a wicked, evil church. In fact, it's always amazed me when people name their church Corinth Baptist Church. I'm like, really? I mean, this is a church that had a dude that was sleeping with his mom. This is a church that Paul literally said in the book of Corinth, if I have to come to you, I'm going to come to you with a big stick. And he wasn't saying that he was going to come plant it. He was going to put a baseball bat to the back of their head in Jesus' name. He was angry. He was upset. But even in that letter, he starts out and he says, To the church in Corinth, from Paul, how much I love you. I thank my God ever, with every remembrance of you. In all the letters, there's this long, flowery, flowy introduction. But if you notice, 
as, as Harley read the introduction to the book of Galatia, it was only two verses. It's the minimum amount. Hey, the letter's coming from Paul. It's coming to you. Who has bewitched you? Paul is angry. He's upset. You see, as you saw him walking around through these churches, he didn't win these people to the Lord by staying in a hotel at night and preaching an evangelistic service during the day and then going out to Cracker Barrel for lunch. He sweat and bled and tears. He labored among them. He's working. Have you ever poured into somebody's life? And had them walk away? Have you ever spent hours on somebody and hours and hours? And them just, eh, that's not for me. Here Paul has poured to these people. Paul was literally drugged outside of the city of Lystra and stoned almost to death. And then he gets back to Antioch and finds out that they've added to the gospel. And so this whole book is screaming to us, No! You don't have to add to the gospel. Jesus is enough. You don't have to do this, 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 and this to get your ticket punched. Jesus is enough. And you can see, if you just pick up the book of Galatians and start reading, you're like, man, he's mad. Why is he so mad? Have you ever, ever walked in a room and two people are talking and one of them gets angry? You can feel that, that change in the room, right? When somebody goes, hey, let me tell you what I'm about to do, big. And all of a sudden, everybody's paying attention and looking. The room will go quiet. You'll hear forks, ding, ding, hit the floor. Well, you can feel that in this book as you read it. It starts out, Paul is mad. He introduces himself, yeah, I'm Paul, you're the churches anyway, whatever. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the gospel. So as we see this, we're going to see Paul angry, which is really the, the only book of the Bible that we have Paul just, just flat out angry. We're going to see Paul frustrated. But to understand that, you've got to see how much he invested in these people to understand that frustration. Now, in this introduction, what can we walk away with from this? First of all, one of the things that just amazes me is that Paul, God was willing to save Paul. There are people in this room who think I can't do anything for God because I was a drunk. Or I can't do anything from God because I've done this or I've done that. I don't know what it is in your heart or in your mind, but you do. You think there's nothing you can do for your Savior because of things you've done in the past. You can't look at the life of Paul and believe that. It's not possible. Paul took, I mean, God took the most vile, wicked, evil sinner and not only saved him, but used him to reach all these churches with the gospel. God can use you. God can save you no matter what you've done. Your life has infinite value. Because Jesus, God was willing to pay the price of his son for you. So I see that. I see that ministry can sometimes be hard, but it's worth it. As we see Paul, everywhere he's going, the enemy's fighting against him. He kept on fighting. He kept on fighting. He kept on working. And you know, one of the things that I think that as we have kind of the way we present the church, and let's just be real here for a minute. In fact, this, this week I was talking with someone who uh, is in law enforcement and we were talking about just church in general. 
And he, the guy made a kind of offhanded comment about all, all the, the wusses that go to church and that's just kind of a crutch that they have to do because they're not strong people. And I said, well, I, I get why, why you can feel that. The, I, I can see sometimes we confuse the word meek with weak. But hey, let's just be honest here. If I were to, to uh, just be wicked and drink beer all the time and, and smoke and, and hang out, leave my wife and family, there's, we call that rebellious, that person's being a rebellious. That's not being rebellious, that's what everybody in the world's doing. That's doing what everybody else is doing. I mean, it doesn't take any guts to do what all the world around us is doing. If you really want to be strong, make a stand for something that nobody else is doing. Stand up and say, I, I am the most wicked sinner who's ever lived and God could save me and change me. I don't have to do that other stuff. Realize that ministry is going to be hard, but it's worth it. I was telling the men in, the, in Sunday school class, I remember really well when I went to that recruiter's office for the Navy. And I, and, and I sat in this Navy recruiter's office and the guy was sitting there in his little Cracker Jack uniform and he says... Um, those of you who have been in the Navy just got that little dig there. Uh, and he, he looks at me and goes, you know what? You did really well in the ASVAB. I'm going to, uh, we, can, we can make you a, a, a nuclear submarine guy. We'll send you to school and it's going to be awesome. We'll hook you up for the rest of your life. You'll get this nuclear engineering thing. And I went to the Army and they said, hey, we're going to make you a helicopter pilot. I'm looking at these ASVAB scores and we're going to do this, this, this if you'll just join the Army. I went to the Air Force, and we're going to make you a pilot, which I know is a lie because I would have been enlisted. But we're going to make you a pilot. We're gonna, you're going to be flying around. It's going to be Top Gun, man. We got some sunglasses right here in the drawer for you. And I went to the Marine Corps, and the guy said, if you've got the guts to last 13 weeks on Paris Island, I'm going to call you a Marine. And I was like, yeah, sign me up. Because I wanted to be a part of something bigger than me. I wanted to be doing something that meant something. And I wanted that cool uniform because it will pick the chicks up, man. That thing looks sharp. <laughs> and I will say that I met my wife at an airport and I was in uniform. I'm just saying it worked. <laughs> but I wanted to be some, a part of something that was big. Well, the gospel is not for wimps. Being a part of the universal church that God has called us to means that we are fighting. We are literally fighting for people's souls. Twice this week, I've had to sit down in somebody's house and tell people that they love that your loved one has taken his own life. The enemy is playing for keeps. He came to steal and destroy and we represent the gospel. We're the only gospel so many people will see. And we're fussing and fighting about the color of the carpet. Well, what we need to be doing is loving on people. They desperately need Jesus outside of these walls. And taking that gospel outside of these walls is not for the faint of heart. You see Paul getting beat. You see Paul getting tempted with his own glory. You see Paul exhausted Walking from city to city to city. And yet he had the guts to say, onward and upward, let's go. Let's fight. 
So I see in this text, this short little text, that we in the church have got to have the guts to do what God called us to do. And we got to stop being pansies for this world and be men and women of God so that we can win this world for Jesus. we got to get in the fight. we got to do what we know to do. I believe with everything in me that if the church would be the church, it would change our world. Father God, as we come to this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that you would apply your word to the hearts of your people. Lord, as we spend the next few months and dig through the book of Galatians, God, that you would teach us, that we would see the sufficiency of you, the sufficiency of Scripture. Oh God, we pray that you would move in a mighty way in this room. God, I do pray for all the people who are still struggling with the flu, God, that uh, are sick right now. God, I pray that you would protect them. God, that you would heal them. God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know you, that they would call on your name to be saved. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room that's not in the fight, that they would confess that is sin. God, I pray if there's anyone here that is not having a church home that they can use as the place to get in the fight, God, that you would draw them to this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.